On this episode of Animation Deliberation, we're doing our follow-up episode on Masters of the Universe Revelation, a very much talked about show that just dropped on Netflix July 23rd. We're going to provide additional thoughts right after some ads we have no control over. Once again, Skeletor and the forces of Snake Mountain are taking over. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, animation deliberation. deliberation. A conversation a and a celebration and a of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun time stamping that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, folks. It's Animation Deliberation, the podcast where we take action, animation, and cartoons seriously but not too seriously, and I feel like that's uh, an especial caveat that we might have to provide for this particular series we're covering, but before I uh, get ahead of myself, let me introduce my co-host today. I have Zuhair Ali, my regular co-host. What's going on, Zuhair? How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing good. I'm glad that uh, I didn't hop on on the Primer episode and got to listen to it because it gave me the context I needed, and yeah, I'm here to give my thoughts. Right on, right on. Also joining us is Matthew Fox of the Star Wars Universe podcast, as well as the Superhero Ethics podcast. I've been uh, hopping on that podcast to do a few episodes of coverage for Bad Batch, so wonderful to get their voice on the podcast. How are you, Matthew? Thanks for being here. I'm good. I'm looking forward to having a conversation and not having to edit it, so this is uh, perfect (laughs) for me. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Well... We, uh, we talked a little bit about that Primer episode that I did, and I did an instant reaction with the guys that uh, hopped on there for hopped on that episode with me for the Primer episode, um, Dale Morris and, and Brian V. Klein. So I really want to use this uh, episode as an opportunity, first and foremost, you know, for you guys, or for you to give your thoughts, um, as well as some of your familiarity with Masters of the Universe. So... Right off the bat, Matthew, why don't you tell us about some of your history with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and then you can kind of dovetail that into your initial impressions of Masters of the Universe Revelation. So I'm very much in the age range that the show was aimed for. I was uh, born in 1977. I think the show came out in 83. Um, You know, I so I was as a young kid, I watched quite a lot of it. So I'm right about the age that the show was aimed at. I was born in 77, so in the early 80s I was a young kid, and I thought the show was a lot of fun. I mean, I don't, you know, I watched it when I was like six, seven, eight, nine. I wasn't having deep analysis of it. I don't think I remembered much. I don't, I wasn't the sort of fan who like kept up with it and 10 years later was collecting the figures and talking to people. It was a fun show for my childhood. Sure. And I went on kind of a journey with it because the first time, I mean, I heard the first thing that got me thinking about this universe that I hadn't really thought about probably in 25 years was when the Shiro remake was made. And mm, okay. I'm not someone who likes seeing everything be remade. I, I'm kind of anti. Like, I think if you have a really interesting new take on something, then give us that new take on something. But 
it does feel like a lot of stuff gets remade just to cash in on nostalgia, which I'm not a big fan of. Sure. And I was very sort of raised eyebrow about Shira. And to this day, I think I think what they did with Shira is one of the best remakes I've ever seen in terms of taking the original property, having a very fresh, unique spin on it, really doing some great things with it. So I was very excited when I then heard that Kevin Smith was going to do Masters of the Universe because I, I love Kevin Smith. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay, well, that sounds awesome, especially if it's in the same shared universe. It turns out it wasn't going to be, which I was definitely disappointed by, but I was still kind of open to. Sure. And I kind of feel like this – I wanted a new, fresh take on Masters of the Universe – and I felt like what I got was Kevin Smith pulling his Masters of the Universe toys off the shelf and getting to play with them uh, and while we all watched. And I, I can see that there being some fun to that, but I definitely – there were some parts of this that I definitely enjoyed. I loved Episode 2. I thought Episode 2, 3, and 4 were, were a lot better than Episode 1 and 5. Okay. Uh, and I will certainly say right off the bat um, – I kind of feel like the way my friend Paul often feels when he talks about Last Jedi, where he definitely didn't like Last Jedi, but he also stands completely against all the racist, misogynistic idiots who who don't like it. I have nothing in... Like, there are people who are critiquing this because there's not enough He-Man or anything like that. Honestly, that was one of my favorite parts. I loved that they called it Masters of the Universe, and then mostly it wasn't He-Man. And I'll I'll get Mm. into that in a bit, because I thought that was a really good thing, but... But I still think there's there's a lot of uh, – I think mostly I just thought it was pretty boring. Like there was a couple of creative decisions that I really didn't like. But episode two really kind of made it seem like we might be getting this very interesting kind of what's the Masters of the Universe world like after He-Man and Skeletor, especially with it being like mostly Tila and Eva Lynn. Sure. And then it became more like just getting the band back together. And then there was a completely manipulative, unnecessary character death that really upset me, and it was actually why Paul stopped watching. I think oh. I, I've heard from other people who stopped watching at that death. Um, and then episode five was like, oh, actually, wait, never mind. Everything's back to normal. And at which point I just said, well, then why did you waste my time making me watch this if nothing really happened? Sure, sure. And and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on and, and do this mm-hmm. episode in the first place, because I kind of talked about in the opening of the episode it, this has been a pretty controversial series in terms of its reception. You talked a little bit about the comparisons to Last Jedi, but uh, it is it is similar in that regard that there are some valid criticisms in there, but they are very much a small voice in a cacophony of complaints that are just not valid at all. We, we can talk all about that. Uh, but I, I just did, did want to remind people, like the show is called Animation Deliberation, so as much as it is a celebration of our, our favorite action animated series, it's also a conversation. And myself, BVK, and Dale, we were all pretty positive on yeah. the series. So it's 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 nice to you know hear somebody else's perspective, and you have that you know nostalgia factor there, and it didn't work for you in, in a lot of ways that are valid. But uh, we will continue to get all into that. But Zuhair, why don't you tell us a little bit about? your familiarity with Masters of the Universe, it sounded like, you know, talking about the Primer episode that you listened to, that you, you kind of went in similar to me, not knowing anything at all. So I'll be interested to hear what you thought of the series as well as just a fan of action animation. Yeah, I think my statement is about to be the the complete opposite of Matthew's. <laughs> Go for it. Go for I, it. Because I went in... Not remembering the show, like I remember that Masters of the Universe was a thing. Sure. 
And, like, now, like, I was kind of looking it up. I was like, were there other renditions of this? And I guess there was one in 2002. I was born in the early 90s, so maybe that was the one that I watched. More than likely, yeah. But I guess I didn't, like, watch it enough to even remember anyone's names. Like, I remembered He-Man and I remembered Skeletor. And uh, There's been a lot of Skeletor memes lately, so it's like, oh, that was from that (laughs) He-Man thing back in the day. Uh, so I did go into this blind. Uh, it was why I told Jay Scotty, like, don't put me in the primer because I, I, I really don't know. And I will be sitting there that, as that dude of like, who's this? What's this? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> no, I want to listen to it. Right. And I'm glad that I did because when I was watching this episode, there was a couple of names and stuff that came up like Mossman. If I heard that without any context, I'd be like, this is a dude named Mossman? Like, it wouldn't have really thrown me off but i had enough context to be like oh okay this is actually somebody important he's like relevant to this and yeah moss man because the name moss man doesn't really have the subtlety of something like evil lynn yeah (laughs) which that took me a second too i was like wait did i hear that right her name is evil lynn like that's clever my pun side loves that but (laughs) oh god Uh, uh yeah I mean, these these aren't the most creative names out there. We've got Cringer and, and Battle Cat. Those are those are pretty self explanatory too. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's silly. I love it. I, I could yeah. see somebody growing up with it. Just like it's easy to relate to the name. So which is even more amazing that I don't remember anyone's names. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I went into this blind. My ex- my excitement for this was that I knew that it had a very large fandom. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was a lot of people who you know, thought highly of the show. And I've been a fan of Castlevania, which is on Netflix. And it's the oh, same yeah, studio yeah. that did that. Because the level right. of action in that was just so, so good. So I was excited to see that in the series. I was rather disappointed because it seemed like what they did was they took this 80s TV show and they just remastered it. Because, yes, it was detailed, but there was no crazy choreography. It was kind of the same action stuff. There was nothing, like, too, like, mind-blowing about the way that it looked. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's good that they took the characters and kept them how they looked from their original design. But at the same time, like, with my with what I expected of it from the Castlevania studio, it didn't blow my mind, really. And okay. in regards to story-wise, like... I really enjoyed the first episode because it felt like it felt like a like the first episode felt like a series finale of something. So it was totally. put in a way where I felt like the people who enjoyed the series beforehand would have enjoyed this episode because it had the context and you could just dive right into it. So if I, like if I hadn't listened to that primer, I probably have been really confused about a lot of things, but it did help me on that first episode. But like mm-hmm. I said, it like that one felt like a story of its own, but it felt like it needed context. Mm. And somebody who went in blind might have been a little confused of like, what do all these words and importances mean? So sure. I enjoyed the first episode having my bit of context. I enjoyed the last episode because there was a lot of oh snap moments. But totally. when I am watching something for the first time, I don't like touching my phone. From episodes two to four, I picked up my phone quite a bit. E, yeah. Okay. I'll be interested to to hear what it was specifically about, you know, episodes two through four that maybe kind of lost you in terms of the storytelling, but 
Um, as, as far as the action goes and the animation studio they brought up, I believe it was Powerhouse. So um, I have not seen... I've seen the first season of Castlevania, and um, it's been a few years since that came out, so I definitely need to see the subsequent seasons. I only hear the best things about it. It's another one that you've recommended to me. But thinking back on that first season... Um, I think it was a little bit more of a slow burn, as I recall, and I think the action was kind of held off until the end. But it, it is yeah. interesting to hear you make those comparisons to, you know, you said it felt like a season finale. And I, even as somebody that's only watched, you know, like um, maybe 13, 14 episodes of, of He-Man, the classic series, uh, it really did feel like one of those classic episodes in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it did feel like the series finale of that series in a, in a way and to its credit that's where the the show really succeeds to me because it was touted as being you know the continuation of this classic series and the series is called masters of the universe revelation so in that regard that's just kind of where it works for me yeah you do have this title character of he-man and i can understand why why you know long-term fans if he-man is your favorite character why you might have been upset you know with these five episodes with him not being around but uh, it is called Masters of the Universe, so for me, it was just great to you know see Tila get to step into the spotlight. We yeah. there were a few choice episodes that we covered in our primer where we we talked about some of the shortcomings of that '80s series, as awesome as it was, and as a great great a job as it did as putting capable uh, female characters at the forefront. There always was kind of that weird context of Tila being the only one not in on the secret, and in that mm-hmm. regard, I thought it made sense. For her to be upset and I'm um, just talking yeah. about some of the the conversations that are going on out there like that's one of the things I've heard people not really be satisfied that it's kind of out of the character of Tila to to react like that and kind of be emotional and they they see it as immature but for me yeah, it, it worked I mean, and yeah go ahead to me that's a woman being relate that's a woman responding to having been gaslit for the last however many years and I I love that part of it because I, I the way you two are talking about the first episode really clicks for me and because I think it's part mm. of why the fifth episode disappointed me so much and somewhat the third and fourth is it felt to me like it was a season finale. It felt to me like it was a series finale. It was kind of saying... Sure. Because for most of episode one, I was like, this is just an episode with better animation. I have no idea why I'm watching this. Until mm. I got to those last five minutes and I realized, oh, <laughs> they're trying to basically say... The old series is done. This is the end of the old series. Now we're doing something fundamentally new. And, right. and I was so here for I thought that was such a brilliant way of doing it, even if you could have cut 10 minutes of the boring, exactly like an old episode stuff out. Sure. Especially because, I mean, just a small thing, Tila got to wear pants. <laughs> Evelyn got to wear pants. Like, he made, like, I mean, Shira as well, and as one of the things people hated about the new Shira as well, you know, huh. These were shows that were kind of like the defining ideas of bikini armor in a lot of ways, you know? Okay. Tila was a warrior for whom the idea that her thighs could ever be attacked by a sword was just not non-comprehensible because that and her cleavage were always fully exposed. Right. Um, and both the fact that, like, in the second episode, it was women talking about their lives after the men in their lives had gone on, Skeletor and He-Man. Hmm. Like, I thought that was... Yeah. So yeah, I, I know that there's some critique of the show based on that kind of stuff. The people who are like, yeah. why wasn't He-Man there? This is wrong for Tila. To me, that I kind of want, wish I loved the show more just so I could argue with those people. Because I'm like, <laughs> the show had bad problems, but none of that was it. Like, I thought what they did with Tila was yeah. honestly one of the things I liked most. 
Okay. Uh, I'll yeah. add on to that as the person who never watched the original series. Like, that seems like a reasonable response to. I mean, like, you're in front of the king and queen, and they were like, "Oh, by the way, your son is dead," along with our protector, and like she. My understanding is that she, like, grew up with him. Like, they've known each other for a really long time, and mm-hmm. he's kept this secret from someone that he fought with in all these battles. Like, mm. yeah, that's... You find that out after he died, too. Like, that's that's yeah. a big deal. And then your... The, the man-at-arms was her father, right? Yeah. Man-at-arms, yeah. Man-at-arms. Okay, so the thing that you've been busting your ass for multiple years to protect has finally been destroyed or taken over or whatever your Mm -hmm. kingdom is about to fall your father just got exiled your best friend is dead the person you've been fighting with for like yes that's a reasonable response why would she not be mad like it's a if if she has this persona of not showing emotion like yeah that's what a good warrior does but like emotional order of thinking like there's there's a time and place for everything and of course she's gonna snap at this point and she's not gonna have her moment to like you know fully blow up because why would she not like granted she still wants to like work with people to like save the little guy and this and that but i don't blame her for having the response that she did i also watched that wondering if kevin smith was being a little bit meta because He's been somewhat involved with The Flash, the, the TV show in the, the DC Arrowverse. Right, uh, sure. Which I think is a very good show, but it's also gotten very rightly critiqued. And, I, and Kevin Smith has talked about like acknowledging this critique and being aware of it. That the, there were, the, the show did, like, did a really awful job of, of straight-up gaslighting Iris West, the, the girlfriend of Barry Allen, who's also The Flash. Mm-hmm. And that mm. one of the people who's most involved with her gaslighting in, in a really painful way is her own father. And... To me, there was such a strong parallel there that knowing that Kevin Smith was deeply involved with both, like I had, I mean, Interesting. He, he only directed a couple of episodes of The Flash, but you know, he, he was very connected to it. And he, I know he was very aware of that critique of it. Yeah. It felt to me like even if he was only subconscious, that had to be in the back of his mind somewhere because, yeah, I think that was, to me, that was one of the biggest problems of the show originally, and this addressed that and fixed it, which I really liked. Hmm. To add on to another point that you brought up, not not to go too much into like real life but the how do i want to word this the with the progressive inclusive world that we live in today mm. when i noticed that the show was called masters of the universe and he-man wasn't in it mm-hmm. i was like there's going to be a lot of people getting the spotlight in this show it's not yeah. going to be just about him. And spoilers, when he died in the first episode, I was like, called it? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've I feel like I've been hitting the nail on this for someone who hasn't seen the original show. Like I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn for a second. I've, I've, I'm I'm on a roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's get to one of the things that I know has been pretty controversial. If you don't mind, I'm kind of taking over the hosting. I'm, you, you're hosting. You're doing the editing. I'm just going to throw out one question. Yeah, no, you're good. Hey, fun fact. Matthew Fox has a couple of shows, in case you didn't know that. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I know this has been a controversial point among a number of people. Like I said, it's why uh, um, Paul Hoppy, my often co-host, literally stopped watching the show. And I had a very different reaction to it, but also a pretty negative one. 
what did you think of uh, us getting to have a real connection with Orko's character and then him dying, him sacrificing himself? Well, that just goes to show that we're both, excuse me, host of podcast because that was the natural natural place oh, that awesome. I was going as well. <laughs> I wanted to bring up Orko and and some of the character sacrifices there, but I, I think you kind of mentioned that this sacrifice didn't work for you and and your friend Paul Hoppy. I'll call him a friend of the show because it's only a matter of time before we have him on yeah, the show to d- discuss uh, Cowboy Bebop for sure. Anyway, it was a sacrifice that really worked for me. Again, um, when I watched the classic show, I tried to put myself into that headspace of being a kid, and I tried to think about the characters that would have really resonated with me as a kid, and Orko was certainly one of those characters. I, I've, you know, I've heard the conversations out there about people that have been Masters of the Universe fans for a long time, and it sounds like Orko is one of those characters that's a little bit He's kind of like C-3PO meets Jar Jar Binks um, for the Star Wars fans there, where there are people that you either, you either love him or you hate him. And I, I definitely think I would have been one of those people that loved him. And I do love him. And for me, the sacrifice just really did work, and it was one of the most emotional moments for the, the show for me. And I, I thought it was an entirely effective, and the character was set up well for it. It worked not only for his character, but it also worked for Evil Lynn, as well as for Tila. Zuhair, what, what did what did you think about Orko as, as somebody that didn't have that familiarity and the way he functioned in this show? And you can even talk about a little bit about uh, the vocal performance there if you want. I didn't not like him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy about him either. He was okay. kind of like a, he was a neutral character for me. Uh, the vocal performance did really give me the hint of they're trying to honor the original essence of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was, it was just fun to listen to. It was very charismatic. Uh, you know, just... He, he did a good job at what it was going for. But as somebody who didn't watch, I don't think there was enough build-up and development of that character for me to be, like, emotional when he sacrificed himself. Hmm. It was an awesome scene because I loved... Uh, I loved Scareglow. I don't know why I was so obsessed with him. And... Him having his moment of being weak and people, you know, thinking that he wasn't good enough and having his his moment of, like, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. I don't know what I'm calling <laughs> that from, but it was a cool moment. I liked it. Seeing, like, those big rings, I was like, what's the point of these rings? He's walking through and then you realize it's a trap and it's actually, like, these cuffs and stuff. I was like, oh, okay, that's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So it was a cool moment for him, but... I didn't, you know, sit up at the edge of my seat or go, oh, no, this is happening. I was like, all right, I think he's about to die. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was. I was very neutral towards him. Okay. Yeah. Now, Matthew, why don't you tell us a little bit about why exactly it didn't work for you? Sure. Let me grab my popcorn. So, and for me, <laughs> I, yeah. And this is kind of a larger rant to have about a lot of things. Um, I'll admit it's a big part of why I really didn't like the TV show Loki. Hmm. I, I feel like... If you're going to have a sacrifice moment, it, it has to mean something. It has to be believable. And I, I don't think we need as many sacrifice moments as we get, to be honest. And I, I'm happy if we take a lot of them out. And kind of the idea of sacrificing Orko to begin with, like, I, I am one of those who loved the character, but also understood why he was kind of a little annoying. And I felt like here, again, in sort of, like, letting Tila know the secret and have pants, letting Eva Lynn <laughs> become a more complicated character outside of Skeletor, 
another thing which they abandoned in the last episode, but we'll, we'll get to that. Well, you know, they finally let. We'll, we'll definitely talk about her. Sure, uh, sure, sure. You know, they finally let Orca, Orco, like have some real agency and some real power. Yeah. And so then to immediately sacrifice him felt really like just awful writing. Uh, but even more <laughs> importantly, I didn't believe it for a second because I was like, come on, you're not going to actually let him die. And then, um, so I'm now going to talk about something that I don't think is a spoiler because Kevin Smith said it about the later episodes, but it could sort of be understood as a spoiler. So maybe if you want to, uh, anyone listening, skip ahead for 30 seconds or a minute. Sure. Because this was when I was really like, okay, Kevin Smith, I am now like, this is just a dumb thing you did. And I'm angry at you. Not angry mm. at him. You know what I mean? But like, the, you sh- you know, you should know better. <laughs> People wrote into him apparently saying like, how could you kill Orko? And he, and what he said was like, don't these people know how like cartoon shows work? Like, of he he didn't exactly say that Orko's coming back, but he basically said like, if you know how these shows work, like, of course you know that Orko's not gone forever. And that just made me even angrier because then I was like, okay, so I was right to not be affected by it because the whole point is that it's meaningless and it's not he's not actually dead. So you're both trying to manipulate me. But also admitting that it's not actually that because you're gonna just say, uh, "Oops, never mind." He's still alive at the end. Um, yeah, yeah. To me, that's, that's just awful really writing. annoying. Yeah, like just yeah. don't do that, screenwriters. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. If someone's gonna die, let them die. You know, or if wow. they're not, like, don't kill off your main character, one of your two main characters, in episode four of a six-episode show. I'm not talking about anything in specific here. Um, yeah, that was my Loki rant. But going back to this, like, it just. It just felt so pointless. It just felt like, oh, Screenwriting 101 says I'm supposed to have a big sacrifice here. I know it's not going to mean anything. They know it's not going to mean anything. But some people will be emotionally affected by it, so let's throw it in. Um, and just that, that just made me feel the whole thing was cheap. And here's one of the th- – like, I love listening to Stranded Panda podcasts. But aside from that, like, that's why I've lost my interest in really dwelling in what people say about – a film or show because I like that genuine conversation of like, this is what I watched. This is what I got out of it. I, before this cast, I didn't realize that somebody had like vocally said like, Hey, this character's coming back, which is fine because I'm not too hype on the show as it is. But even like with the way that infinity war and Endgame came out, like they came up with responses to divert us. Like how hard is it? as a person working on a show to just be like I don't want to answer that question or this is why we did this to make you feel this way like talk about the content that the person just consumed not mm-hmm. what's coming next not what you wanted to do not this not that like focus on the conversation of what you just saw there's so right. much chatter about what's coming next that nobody learns to live in the moment that's the mm-hmm. same thing with Loki. Uh, same thing with WandaVision was that there was so much speculation. I was like, can we talk oh, about yeah, how totally good this scene was? Can we talk about how well this emotion was conveyed? Can we talk about the heartfelt moment of this character? No. Speculation, 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 speculation. Like, <laughs> we, why can't we just get lost in what we're watching anymore? Yeah. Uh, well, and to be clear, totally maybe, maybe, 
I think I'm totally agreeing with you on that. And I, I, to me, this though felt different because this, to me, this wasn't about like speculation about what will happen as much as just like, to, I guess there's to me a difference between speculating versus just like having seen other things before, you know? And I, I just couldn't feel any emotional weight to it because it seems so obvious that of course he wasn't going to be dead. That, that, yeah. that's it's, one for us, it's one for us to think that way because that's just, you know, we watched it and we're just like, I feel like he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Sure. But for for Kevin Smith to feed into the speculation oh, okay. now saying. Yeah. mindset and for him to be a creative, to be the person who worked on the show and be so caught up in what's coming next that he told the world that it's like, not, it, it's <laughs> yeah, one thing totally if we're thinking <laughs> that way. He fed into it. Like, what's yeah. the point of watching the next season now? Like, yeah. this dude's yeah. going to come back and be like, oh, cool, he's back. Sweet. Yeah. I, I do kind of want to move on from the spoiler uh, section of this in case there are people that, you know, sure. aren't paying as much attention to that stuff. But what I'll say about Kevin Smith is I am a fan of Kevin Smith, but with that being said, I don't I don't think everything he's done is mm-hmm. is is great. I think there's, you know, some spotty spotty stuff in his body of work and he definitely has not always um handled criticism with the dignity or grace that someone in the public limelight necessarily should but that's what a lot of people like about him the fact that you know he is just very uh you what what you see is what you get he's not going to hold anything back but in terms of being a showrunner yeah he probably should have kept um some of his his uh tricks up his sleeve a little bit in that regard i'll just say something this non-spoiler but just also about kevin smith sure um, Zuhair, hearing your responses to it as someone who doesn't really know the show as well and some of the parts that lost you, to me that kind of speaks to what I was saying about this show feeling like it was too much nostalgia. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's, And to me the easy contrast is the three of us have been on my on uh, the Star Wars podcast talking about Bad Batch. And Jay Scotty, you, like, there are a number of times where Zuhair, you and I have gotten so excited about things that are references to Clone Wars and like nostalgia like that mm-hmm. but Jay Scotty you've made very clear that you haven't felt kind of lost by that and I feel like it's it's a and to be honest, it's a very hard line to walk I don't think it's oh, an totally. easy thing and I don't think Bad Batch has done it perfectly by any means but to hear your your responses to me really feel a lot like yeah, if you needed the primer to even be able to like really get into it as much as you could like yeah that, that to me is even more sign like the show was leaning too hard on this nostalgia factor instead of really trying to make it something new for new people as well as and- for old yeah, and that could be contributing to you know some of of the reception there, and it, it's kind of difficult for me, you know, having done that primer with uh, people that you know are such staunch and, and diehard fans, and for them to have reacted so positively, um, it's it's just kind of it it really kind of almost made me have almost like whiplash when I like started to hear about the review bombing and 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 stuff like that. So, hmm. what I'll say on that is so on the episodes you've had jay scotty for bad badge which is which has been a good chunk of them there's always every episode of bad badge has had a character from whether it be clone wars rebels a movie whatever and we Mm. always ask jay scotty what did you think of it first before going in he has his opinion but at the end of the day there hasn't been a character that's popped in that if you didn't know who he was, it affected the show. It's if you recognize this person, great. If not, they give enough context to keep the episode going. You don't need to watch all these other things to get it. Yeah. With this show of 
Masters of the Universe, there was moments where the light bulb went off of, okay, I got this from the primer. Mm. And then there was a lot of episodes of, I really want to Google this right now. What are these terms that they're saying? What is yeah. the what is the importance of this? What is the significance of this? Why am I not... Maybe I'm just going to watch and finish the episode and maybe it'll answer my questions. Like, the episode where he was, like, with the other He-Men, like, the He-Men past or whatever. Oh, yeah, the champions uh, in Preternia. It took me so long to understand who they were and what was going on. And then eventually, instead of calling it whatever it was, they said the word heaven and that was when I was like, oh, that's what it is. So yeah, I personally didn't get the feel that they were explaining the world. Because I love a good world building. Sure. And I didn't feel like they did a strong enough job to build it for people who are coming in blind. Mm. If what you said, Matthew, about it being a season finale for the series ahead, okay, that makes sense. But in regards to grabbing a new audience, yeah, I'm not sure if they would succeed at that vision. Yeah, and and I think that's really important. And I think part of the world building thing is that, I mean, there wasn't much to begin with. Like this is all based on a line of toys that had you know some world building written on the back of the boxes, <laughs> and then a TV show that was you know a kids show in the '80s that no one was going deep into the world building. And I think. Again, not to hold up Shira as the shining example, but there's other examples of, of remakes too. I think some other shows were willing to sort of say, okay, well, there really isn't much depth here. Let's go deeper. Let's create some of our own lore that is taking what's in the original and running with it. And I felt that's one thing this didn't do. You know, it tried to just do like, oh, look, here's Eternia. If you remember the show, you remember it's a kind of heaven like thing. But you're right, there wasn't anything about, there was no. There was no sort of there there. They didn't really go deeper beyond the surface. They just expected you to remember the surface from 30 years ago. I have a question, and I feel like when I ask this, you guys are going to understand my next question that comes up. What What's the, the history of Skeletor like? Like, was he always this goofy, sarcastic, giddy type of villain? Well, that, that's a good opportunity, yeah, to kind of talk about you know mark hamill's performance as well and what he brought to the table there but um in terms of my exposure to skeletor my understanding is he's never really given all that much of a backstory other than the fact that he wants he-man's power like he is the antithesis to he-man is 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 there is there really that much more to him matthew not that eight-year-old me ever noticed. Okay. Um, and again, eight-year-old me wasn't looking for nuance. Yeah, I'm kind of asking just about like his personality and his like demeanor and like. Well, yeah. Like, was he always like a like a goofy, silly, like ha 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 type of person? Oh, his I, his laugh is iconic. His laugh is Alan Oppenheimer uh, doing that that laugh as Skeletor. That <laughs> is, is is definitely okay. a a cackling and a, a iconic part of Skeletor. Yeah. Um, as far as the one-liners and stuff like that go, there there was one that I really liked in uh, in episode three, I believe it was, The Most Dangerous Man in Eternia. Yeah, because they opened the episode with a flashback to He-Man and Tila on the Crystal Sea having been taken captive by Skeletor, Evil Lynn, and I believe uh, Merman, voiced by Kevin Conroy. So it was kind of great to get 
Skeletor, voiced by Mark Hamill with Merman as yeah. as Kevin Conroy <laughs> in the same scene there. But anyway, the one-liner that uh, was delivered is once He-Man and Teela are cast in the ocean, Skeletor says something like, I look forward to our next battle, but I won't hold my breath. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember the goofiness in the puns as much, but I think again, like, I think... Any adult who was watching it with me would have probably found Skeletor. Like, you know, at six, I thought he was terrifying. I think any adult watching would have thought he was pretty goofy. And it definitely felt like they leaned more into that with this. Mm -hmm. Um, But Paul made the comment, I think a couple others have said, like, Mark Hamill is an amazing voice actor. Yeah. He did wonderful things with the Joker. And then he also, like, really stretched to, like, do very different voices. This felt kind of like pretty much the Joker, you know? Totally fair. Yep, you went exactly what I was getting at because seeing the design of Skeletor, he looks terrifying. I thought yeah. there was going to be more dialogue of like showing that menacing. Because t- when uh, when Scareglow came up, yeah. I was like, "That's the type of voice I expected for Skeletor." Like this, I'm loving this dude. He looks terrifying. He fits his persona perfectly. Yeah, Scareglow was Tony Todd. All I heard was Joker. Okay. And I was wondering if that was like actually the essence of the character and you guys were like, okay, this fits perfectly as somebody who's seen it before or if it was just me going like, yeah, these these two don't mix together. And I guess like it did amp up like the hard-hitting moments. Like when Skeletor ended up stabbing He-Man, I was like, oh God. Because when it went to like witty goofy in this and that and then like, Mark Hamill changed his voice to be a little more menacing on ha ha I finally won like that worked for me so yeah. I was just I was, I was wondering on y'all's perspective of if if the if the goofy demeanor still worked with this if it if it matched up with the source material and yeah um, yeah what y'all's thoughts on his performance were yeah I, I think it fit the character in terms of him yeah being kind of the cackling goofy um, he is menacing, but not. He's he's menacing, kind of in the same vein as the Joker. But I will agree with those criticisms. As awesome a performer Mark Hamill is in the in the range that he's got, it really did just kind of remind me of the Joker in a lot of ways. And I know, uh, you know, Mark Hamill has a ton of voices at his at his disposal. I skips is coming to mind if anybody's watched the regular show. But it always kind of like surprises people when I bust out that fact that he voiced the Yeti skips from the regular show. But mm. you know, and comparing him to somebody like Scareglow, I like I, I kind of cut in when you were talking there. But that was Tony Todd, and Tony Todd has a long-standing history of, of voicing villains similarly. And I guess what benefits Tony Todd a little bit is like he's kind of doing the same voice he always does as well, but it's just never been attached to quite an iconic character like the Joker. Right. So you're not going to make those comparisons the same way but uh, I, I would agree with you in terms of like just talking about the character of Skeletor and where they took him especially in those final moments seeing him take the power of Grayskull and loom over Castle Grayskull as Skelegod was a, a hell of a cliffhanger for me and, and definitely got me excited to see hmm. the next five episodes I think for me part of why I was disappointed by it was A because Skeletor never meant anything I mean, like I said he was scary to me as a six year old but you know, we've often talked about how, like, a show like Batman the Animated Series is great if you're six, but also great if you're 16 or 36. Mm. I, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I think some of the hardcore Marvel, uh, hardcore MO2U fans are going to disagree with me here. I don't think that's true of He-Man. 
I think He-Man is a show that is great when you're 6 or 7 or 10 or 12. And maybe there's some fun nostalgia, but I don't imagine too many adults are going to go back and watch the original and love it. Um, and mm. I think Skeletor was written at a time when, like, you didn't need a villain with a compelling backstory. They just wanted all the power and, a, and an evil laugh, and that was enough. Yeah, yeah. To me, though, they did introduce a really compelling villain. They introduced this idea of, if you played Mage the Ascension, they basically introduced the, the technocracy. Um, you know, they they introduced these, like, it's, it was funny because religious zealots, but religious zealots about technology because of the idea of the technolo technology to sort of overcome magic. And to me, there's a really fascinating story there. And I was so ready for that to be our main villains for most of the rest for the next five episodes. And so when they kind of got just shunted to the side and it's like, nope, we're back to Skeletor. You're right. That scene was powerful. But I was also just like, oh, OK, so we are going back to the show from the 80s. That's disappointing. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I again, I, excuse me, I can see those criticisms and, and they're valid as well, because as much as this is supposed to be a continuation and the next phase of the Masters of the Universe story and the story of Eternia, you do kind of get that feeling that um, it's going to kind of go back to that classic thing that I think some of the people that have been um, yelling the loudest, it's kind of what they want to see. It's, it's going to be that classic He-Man versus right. Skeletor just with a, a new, what's the word I'm looking for? Just basically a new finish. Everything's going to be a little bit shinier, a little bit better animated, and um, the performances will be a little bit better. But I did want to talk about um, some of the supporting performances. So you just you brought up the techno cult there. Um, that was Henry Rollins as Triclops, who I thought did a great job. But I thought Liam, Liam Cunningham as Master at Arms was also a pretty good standout for me. And then mm -hmm. Tiffany Smith as Andra. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. She has been in the YouTube space for a long time. So there were a few channels that covered movie news and stuff like that, that I was a fan of for a long time that she popped up on. And it was, it's just been interesting to follow her career and then see her um, appear in something as big as this. And I thought she did a great job. Yeah. I, I thought the acting was fantastic. Lena Headley, especially, I thought oh, yeah. was just so perfect for Evil Lynn. I, yeah. like I said, I loved Evil Lynn for four and a half episodes. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for uh, leaving her out. Yeah, Lena Headey was great. Yeah, should, should we get into her? I, I just got it. Sound like you liked uh, her her turning back to being a villain at the end. Uh, well, I, I think there's more to be seen there. I think as much as you know, she talked about in the the first episodes stepping out of the shadow of Skeletor and her realizing that she could be a master of the universe. I think that that storyline is not going away, and that we are going to see her not necessarily be as subservient to, to Skeletor as she has in the past. I think we're going to see her be a little bit more manipulative and just kind of use Skeletor uh, for a period of time. And she might even end up being like the ultimate big bad, which would be pretty cool. But I, I felt like Zuhair was going to say something as well. It was more of the two Game of Thrones actors, uh, Master of Arm and Evelyn. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, we've said on the show plenty of times, like, I'm the one who just watches and tries to tune out outside world stuff, and Jay Scotty really gets into who the voice actor is and uh, all the people who roll up in the credits. So mm. I was trying so hard not to Google it. To and I just listening. I was like, man, this voice is so familiar. And, uh, yeah, like, hearing the voice of Cersei as a villain in that and then a villain in this, like, it was flawless casting. 
Uh, they did a really good job with that. They did a great job with Master of Arms. Overall, in regards to the character, like, yeah, it just seems like the right-hand man of the villain, and it was, like, again, like, I don't know too much of the source material, but it was interesting to see her arc and starting to realize, like, how much of a tool she was mm-hmm. in regards to, like, actually having her own her own ambitions as a sorceress and i thought there was going to be a twist at the end and i still feel like the second part of this like she's going to turn against skeletor in some sort of way she seems to have had enough moments with tila to just start to like start developing her own identity um Mm -hmm. i don't i don't really have too much to say on the character like i enjoyed her performance i like aside from the confusion of what was going on in the show uh, I, I did like when she was on screen. I liked her commentary for everything. I liked the the banter of do we trust her because she's worked with Skeletor for so long. And right. then when they almost did hash it out before Prince Adam broke it up, like uh it was it was good character de- I think it was the most character development we've had throughout the series. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I I mean, uh, you guys mentioned Tila like not being the emotional person, so I didn't quite have that backstory to go off of, but in regards to like what I've seen in five episodes, I think she got the most character development than anybody else. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it, same here. And I hear what you're saying about uh, Eva Lynn might still having a lot of character development to go, and I think there's some power to that. I, I honestly probably won't watch because you'll have oh. to tell me how it goes. Because I, I just was so disappointed by it, especially because Eva Lynn had been so tied into Orko's story in terms of the two of them connecting that I felt like for her, it just was one more way of cheapening the sacrifice that he made because I felt like that was a thing more than anything that would have had a real effect on her. Um, hmm. So it, it just... More than anything, it felt like we wanted to get... The, granted, He-Man's dead, but clearly, I mean... If you think He-Man is going to stay dead, like they're not going to resurrect him a second time, I have a lot of bridges to sell you. Uh, and that has nothing to do with anything Kevin Smith has ever said. That's just like, I've watched movies. Uh, sure. But like, I don't know. It, it just felt like, okay, so the next five, don't worry. We went on this crazy journey. We explored these other things, but don't worry. Now we're back to real He-Man and it's going to be He-Man and Skeletor. And Skeletor is much more powerful than before. And maybe Eva Lynn will not be by his side the whole time, but you'll still get a lot of classic He-Man and Tila and Duncan going up against Skeletor and Eva Lynn. And they told me they weren't going to do that. And then so now getting back to it, I'm just like, well, then why didn't you just tell me that in episode one sort of stopped watching and not wasted the last four episodes? You know, it just it it just felt fundamentally disappointing to me to for evil. I think Eva Lynn was the character I liked most because I thought her. To me, there's a very interesting thing where it's not a, oh, I was, it's not like a Catra or Zuko, like, I was wrong, I need to do better. It was, the things that I am doing are going to cause, like, you know, the end of the universe. That's not good. I want to stop that. The only way I can stop that is by teaming up with these people. And... I don't know, it just, it just felt like she'd gone on... And, and then while she's doing that, like, yes, she had some growth, but she was still, you know, pretty cruel and callous, but also was learning. And it just felt like all that went out the window when Skeletor came back. And particularly for, like, 
the fact that so much of it was about Tila and her both realizing like what being in the shadow of the men in their lives had been, mm-hmm. it, it just felt like such a step backwards in a way that I was just like, okay, well, if, if then you're not going to give us an interesting show, so I'm done. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Well, I was going to say it'll be interesting to to see where you land uh, when we're able to do a, a follow up episode on the on the final episode, final five episodes of the season. But it sounds like you might just uh, they might have lost you, which uh, I mean, I, I understand the criticisms I do, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I am excited to see where the series goes. And I think they did a good enough job as a casual fan um, mm-hmm. to renew my interest in, in just the franchise and. I'll definitely be tuning in to, to see what happens. And in terms of us, you know, the three of us here, I think we all kind of landed a little bit differently. I think I'm a little bit more positive. Matthew, you sound like you're a little more negative, rightly so. That's okay. And then Zuhair is kind of somewhere in the middle. But what I want to highlight here is, like, we've been able to have this conversation and it hasn't turned into an argument. Like, not to, like, preach or tell people what to do or anything like that. It'd just be oh, yeah. nice in the online space if you could just see more of that. You know, Talk about the things you like. Yeah. Talk about the things you don't like. Talk about why they didn't work for you. And it, you don't need to take it so personally. It's just it's content that is meant to provide entertainment and, and discussions and it, it doesn't need to, to come to, you know, real, it doesn't ever, never need to be the end of a relationship or anything like that. So just kind of yeah. Keep that in the back of your mind. But uh, with that being said, I think we'll kind of bring things to a close here. So did either of you have any final thoughts that you wanted to say about Masters of the Universe Revelation or anything He-Man, Masters of the Universe? Well, if you're trying to close the door, I'm going to put my foot in the door for a second. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. What is Roboto's origin? Is it somebody else whose like personality was put in a robot, or was he a robot all along? I I have no idea. Okay, he's. Yeah, I, I think he played more of a role in, in the toy line based on um, the research I did and the exposure mm. I did. But having him pop up in these episodes did make me go back and I watched his origin in the classic 1980s series as well as in the 2002 Mike Young series and he has very different origins in both of those so I think it's kind of up to up for debate there in the classic series he was a robotic alien that crash landed on Eternia and they discovered his ship his ship and kind of brought him back too and he was brought into the fold and then in the 2000 series he was more of like a chess playing machine that focused on strategy and then he always desired to kind of be able to use those strategies actually on the field but in this series we got you know through dialogue we found that this version of Roboto seems to be based on the the brain patterns of a young Duncan who's our master at arms so he's kind right. of like his surrogate uh, son in that regard okay I really liked his character I, he oh yeah he's like arguably my favorite um, yeah and he was yeah. he was another one that got to uh, you know sacrifice was a, a big theme of the of these first five episodes and he's certainly not lost there i thought justin long did great but yeah him ending up like being the forge master and like him being the one to bring the swords together and that whole sequence of um coming up with the idea to lock in the the throne room and turn it into the forge and put it together and like you seeing like on his on his display of uh critical 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 oh, yeah. like, this, is, this, yeah. is, this is like the most well, that and He-Man getting stabbed was probably the most like, oh, this is interesting uh, mm-hmm. moments in the show for me. He had the moment of like, oh, I, I am feeling kind of human because now I'm afraid to die, right? 
Yes. Okay. I would say he was absolutely one of my favorite parts, especially because I've been watching a lot of Star Trek recently, uh, The Next Generation. And so mm. that little moment where he had where he, you know, they're all sad that he's dying, but he says it's kind of a, a lovely moment that he's afraid of death, which is a, a distinctly human feeling for him. Um, I don't know if it's his human or just kind of being alive, but it, it just gave me so many flashes to Data and, and other characters who, like androids who've wanted to be able to be human and be alive. And I thought that was a very nice touch. And to me, definitely one of the most emotionally powerful moments that really paid off. Yeah. It made me think of Robot from Invincible a little bit, but oh, I okay. took that scene a little differently because, you know, he talks about, like, how he doesn't feel and doesn't have emotion and he can't... Like, somebody... I, f- I forgot the dialogue exactly, but I remember really liking it, of like someone explaining it. He's like, oh, that's what that feels like. That's good mm-hmm. to know. Like, he just has, like, this intel now. But when he was, like, having his moment, and he was like, oh, I feel fear. And I was like, oh, you feel him? Oh, that's dark. I'm so sorry. That's the first one you feel before you die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, I wish you could have felt, like, happiness or, like... Uh, you know, comfort I, that people were there, but no, you were just like emotion, fear, panic attack, well, gone. <laughs> he kind of comes. He kind of comes full circle in saying that he f- he feels fear. He realizes that he feels and that he's a miracle. So I, I think that was his final thought. At least that's what I like to take away with it. No, so it's not quite. So I, dark. I took that as ve- I took that as a very dark moment. <laughs> like I am so sorry <laughs> you went out that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a poignant sacrifice. I guess my my final point would be kind of going back to what you said, uh, Jay Scotty. I, I think you're completely right. I, I really appreciate what you guys have done with this podcast uh, and for bringing me on as a guest. And you know, oh, for full context, I specifically reached out to you two and said, hey, listen, I know we talked about me being on the show. I really didn't like this new version. If you want to get someone else, like, you know, please go ahead and do so. I don't want to be a negative Nancy. And I, I, I've tried to talk about the things I liked about it, but I know I've had some pretty impassioned feelings about the negative. And I, I just think it was, it was awesome. You guys were both like, no, of course, we want to have you on. Let's get some different perspectives. And Because I think you're right. I think we can definitely have – fandom is a lot better when we can recognize that, yeah, like most opinions on these things are completely valid and it's okay to disagree. And my not liking it, I don't think anyone's wrong for liking it. I'm glad that this brought you joy. It didn't bring me joy and I'll talk about why. But I don't ever think anyone's wrong. Um, yeah. And I kind of couch that a little bit because I'll say – because I think the thing is like we can all agree on that. And then we can also agree that, like, if you didn't like this because you just – you didn't want the woman to have speaking parts or you wanted the women to have more sexy armor or, like – then, no, you're toxic and garbage and you have no place in fandom. Right. Like, right. I have no problem saying that. But, yeah, when it's actually people who are, like, appreciating the show and who want the show to be, you know, about these kind of, you know – you know, the shows in the 80s did not reflect the world we ha- we lived in in the 80s and certainly don't reflect the world today. And so we're making efforts to, to explore the world, to have these shows reflect more of the world today. And – if you're against that, I really don't care what your opinion is. But but anything else, yeah, I think it's I think it's awesome that Jay Scotty liked it so much. And Zuhair, I really I really appreciated hearing your thoughts as someone who hadn't really known the show and what you liked and what you didn't like. And I think I'm yeah. this conversation gives me more of an appreciation for the show, even if it doesn't necessarily change my own feelings on it. Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Very very well said. And yeah, in in terms of just I I kind of skirted around the toxicity just because I almost don't want. To highlight it but it is it is worth bringing up there is a lot of toxicity out there and it's just not warranted at all like if you have that much free time and that much uh, and again i guess i shouldn't become coming from like me standing on and, and speaking down to anybody like that but i would just say you know check your motivations if, you, if you've got that much anger over over an animated series based on a toy line 
Also, let's face it too. Let's just be grateful that we actually do have like new content coming back and things to watch oh, totally. again and being yeah. able to yeah. talk to people about definitely. it again. So certainly, uh, yeah, count your blessings I, when you can, my friends. I I'm definitely in a place of I'm the number of co- the amount of content that I want to cover and the amount of hours I have to cover it are no longer <laughs> matching up, which is frustrating, <laughs> but also yeah, a nice problem to have. All right. Well, I thank both of you for coming on and providing your thoughts and, and you know, taking the time to, to watch the show and, and, and joining me here today. Tell the people what you have going on. What would you like to, to broadcast or plug there? Matthew? Sure. I would just say, um, as mentioned, I do two podcasts, the Star Wars Universe podcast and Superhero Ethics. You can find both of those on, I think, pretty much every podcatcher. You can also find all of my podcasts at theethicalpanda.com. The Ethical Panda is kind of the, uh, the gnome de plume I use on the internet for podcasting <laughs> stuff. Uh, and so if you want to find me, I'm under that name on both Twitter and Facebook. Those are great ways to give me feedback, give me thoughts. You can also email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. I've been going on Twitch a lot more. I'm now taking a week break. Uh, for those of you who are, I'm not sure when this will be published, but I'm, I'm going to take a break the first week of August. I'll be back the second week of August. If you just go to The Ethical Panda on Twitch, hit subscribe or follow or whatever it is. Uh, subscribe is better. Throw me a little cash, but you know, or just follow. Uh, you'll you'll know once I start updating my schedule. What I've been doing is I'm playing poker uh, and talking a little bit about poker, but also kind of talking about whatever's on my mind that day of these kind of subjects. I've talked about Loki, time travel, queer representation, and things. Uh, Masters of the Universe, billionaires going into space, and more than anything, it's a very interactive thing. We get people in the chat. You make comments, conversation. I'll just keep the dialogue going with you, and we'll just have a fun time. So. Please check that out on Twitch and check out my podcasts and uh, just check out all the other awesome things that uh, these folks are doing on Animation Liberation and the rest of the Panda Network. Right on. Thank you. Zuhair? Well, we have the ball rolling on our Demon Slayer coverage. Just have a little bit of scheduling issue, which is why it hasn't come out as soon as I would have liked. But Season Mm -hmm. 2 does roll out. Uh, The movie is available for purchase and streaming on Funimation right now, so... The, the hype train of talking about this great anime is finally back up, and I'm excited to share that excitement with you all. Yeah, the hype train for Mugen Train. And you guys already did your, your Mugen Train um, episode, so that's that's available on the feed for people. Uh, for myself, I will, I'll just plug my Instagram. It's, it's been a little while since I've plugged it, but I have been, you know, I've had renewed interest there, and I've been putting some more stuff out. I've kind of been doing this series. I've been taking Marvel characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and putting them in the style of like shepherd fairy who's known for that obey series so um, if you want to follow me there it's j scotty for real j s c o t t y number four r e e l um, look forward to more of those i really like that infinity war captain america one you did oh thanks that was uh, partially inspired by katie rose button friend of the network she mm. she saw my doctor strange one and, and asked for uh, she wanted the one where he steps out of the shadows um, when he's first introduced in Infinity War, but I had a fi- hard time finding an image that was high quality enough. But that's neither here nor there. I also do want to remind people, you know, we we do want to incorporate your feedback into the show. This was originally intended to be a feedback episode, so we've got the stinger at the end of the episode that gives you the email address. But one more time, it's animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com. And also, it's been a while since we've gotten a review, so uh, that'll definitely help the show grow. We've gotten some more new listeners as uh, we've done He-Man and Masters of the Universe coverage, so if you do like what we're doing here, let us know and help the show grow. Much appreciated. Keep tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N.
stay whelmed. Roger, roger. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. Of Marvel characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, pot. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I'm just like forced to have it when I say the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Blockout dates may apply. See website for details. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. Whether you're trying to get a break from the grind or grinding to break records, running for balance or burgers, only one thing counts. You're out there step after step, mile after mile, and we're out there with you all the way. Visit your local Nike store today to find your perfect pair of running shoes. No matter if you're setting the pace for the pack or flying solo to the rhythm of your own kicks, you're one of us. You coming? Come run with Nike at your local Nike store today.